0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is a podcast for learners of English, and if you listen to my episodes on a regular basis, it can make a big difference to your English progress in various ways. Mainly your receptive skills like listening, but also your vocabulary, your pronunciation and your general awareness of cultural factors which should never be underestimated in the learning of another language but don't forget that you also have to activate your English too by speaking it as much as possible this is really important for developing fluency confidence accuracy in grammar clarity in pronunciation and general communicative competence but how can you practice your speaking how can you find the right people to talk to well you could try i one of the sponsors of this podcast, italki is a massive online community of professional language teachers and tutors. Many of their teachers are from the UK, and they're ready and waiting to be your English teacher or conversation partner. And because italki sponsor this podcast, they're offering all of you a free lesson. Find out more at teacherluke.co.uk slash talk, or just click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. Here's an episode of the podcast devoted to one of the UK's favourite poems. I thought it was about time we looked at some poetry on the podcast. I was wondering which poem I should look at. I say look at, obviously we're going to be listening to it. That's just a phrase, isn't it? To look at something. I don't, I don't mean literally look at it, although you could, if you check the page for this episode, uh, you'll find the poem written there, as well as a lot of transcriptions here. A lot of the stuff I'm saying in this episode is written on the page for the episode, so you could look at that stuff and read it. Anyway, to look at something is a phrase that we use in English just to mean, you know, consider it, think about it, study it. So I thought it was about time we looked at, heard, studied some poetry on the podcast. And I was wondering which one we could do, uh, which poem. And in the end, I've chosen one that's popular with lots of people in the UK. Sometimes poetry is a bit complicated and a bit highbrow. You might think, oh, no, poetry's not for me. Personally, I don't read a lot of poetry either. Um, I like the stuff I like, but I don't kind of spend a lot of time reading poetry. Uh, This particular poem in this episode is pretty clear and not too challenging or anything. And it also touches upon ideas that most people can relate to. So I think it's probably a good one for us to do. So we're going to listen to the poem, understand the vocab used, and talk a little bit about the general meaning of the poem. And you'll also be able to listen to the voice of Michael Caine, uh, the British actor Michael Caine, and also hear some funny Michael Caine impressions too later on in the episode. The poem in question is called If by Rudyard Kipling. Okay, that's it, that's the title of the poem. If. Um, It's been voted the UK's favourite poem in a number of polls done by the BBC over the years. So let's listen to this much-loved poem being read out by actually a couple of different people and then analyse the lines for their full meaning and pick up some vocabulary in the process. So If by Rudyard Kipling. If is a poem by British Nobel laureate Rudyard Kipling. A Nobel laureate is a person who has um, won the Nobel Prize for Poetry or literature, uh, poetry in this case. Uh, Rudyard Kipling is the person in question. The poem was written by Kipling in 1895, and it was first published in 1910. Uh, So, you know, just over 100 years old, this this uh, piece that we're going to listen to. Grammatically, it's basically one huge if clause, with each line uh, beginning with the word if, and then concluding at the end of the poem it might actually be the world's longest conditional sentence. Um, And it basically goes like, if you do this and this and this, then eventually this will happen. For example, if you do plenty of practice, stay motivated and don't give up, then eventually you'll be fluent in English. All right. So um, it's like that, just a a big if sentence. Um, As poetry, if is a literary example of the principles of Victorian era Stoicism. This is a kind of... Well, this is a... What is Victorian era Stoicism? Well, this is a set of attitudes that became popular in the UK during the Victorian period. And by Stoicism, I mean a kind of attitude and approach to life that involves being tolerant of difficulty, showing a sort of calm self-discipline, having control over your emotions... Being patient, accepting difficulty, and having a quiet determination to just keep calm and carry on. It could also be described as the principle of stiff upper lip, which British people often consider to be a national virtue. If your upper lip is stiff or firm, I suppose it means that you have your emotions under control. So these ideas. Of uh, you know self control and stiff upper lip and all that stuff are sort of embodied in this um, in this poem, um, and it's just an example of that way of thinking, a way of thinking which has become uh, as as many British people will say, kind of quintessentially British. This whole stiff upper lip attitude. Often British people will talk about how they're proud to be tolerant, not just of things like cultural differences but of difficulty, discomfort and hardship. This is one of the national virtues or one of the things that British people often consider to be a national virtue, that we are tolerant of difficulty or hardship. And I think we quite like the idea that we are in control of our emotions because that shows strength of character. This is what if is all about. And because of this, the poem remains a cultural touchstone in the UK. Now, I, I don't believe that self-control or tolerance of difficulty are exclusively British qualities, and I'm certain that uh, these are qualities that any nation would consider themselves proud of. Um, but um, for some reason, these are, the th- these are things that often come up when British people talk about the national character. Um, We're not always self-controlled, of course. You can't generalise. There are times when Brits intentionally lose all self-control, like, for example, when they get drunk on a Friday night or when they go on holiday to Mallorca or something and get drunk there. And those moments seem to be like time off from being self-controlled. Also, these days, I think British people are more in touch with their emotions than they used to be. But this poem is all about The side of the British personality that's all about quiet, strength, fair play, and not losing your head in a crisis. It's also like a sort of self help mantra, which inspires people to try and do the right thing. And it probably gives people some inspiration for uh, living their lives correctly and dealing with times of difficulty. This is the sort of poem that you might see pinned up on the wall of someone's house. it's the sort of poem, I think a friend of mine, when I was growing up, I remember a friend of mine had this poem pinned up on his bedroom wall. I think his father gave it to him. So it's, you know, it's that sort of thing, a poem that people live by. You know, it's a, a set of principles or or advice that people try to live by. Um and for all these reasons, it's often voted one of the UK's favourite poems. Let's listen to the poem then, and we're going to listen to Academy Award-winning actor Michael Caine reading the poem. You know Michael Caine, don't you? Um, he's a British actor. He's from the he's from the East End of London originally. He's been in many many films. Recently, he's famous for playing the part of uh, of Batman's butler, Alfred. In the um, in the Batman films directed by Christopher Nolan, he's also in Interstellar and stuff like that. Um, so he's a he's a bit of a national treasure, Michael Caine. Um, now I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Caine's voice, because uh, in many countries around the world, films get dubbed into the local language, right? So if you're in Spain, for example, and you watch a Michael Caine film, you might find that Michael Caine's voice is just dubbed into Spanish and you get a, kind of a Spanish actor doing Michael Caine's voice. Well, um, I have to say that's a bit of a pity. I mean, obviously that helps people understand the film and all that stuff. Great. But it's a bit of a pity because if that's the case, then you might have grown up not hearing Michael Caine's real voice because he has a very distinctive voice. And, you know, the way that Michael Caine sort of speaks, a bit like this. Everyone knows what Michael Caine's voice sounds like. So anyway, let's listen to him reading the poem. All the sentences in the poem begin with if. So how do you think the poem will end, I wonder? And if you're already familiar with the poem, you can just enjoy the voice of one of our favourite actors, Michael Caine.
1: If you can keep your head when all about you If you can dream and not make dreams, your master. If you can think and not make thoughts, your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same. If you can hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools or watch the things you gave your life for broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 40 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, You'll be
0: a man, my son. So there you go. Um, The audio from that uh, clip there comes from a YouTube video uploaded by Peace One Day. Uh, um, Peace One Day is a non-profit organization that was founded in 1999. And in the year 2001, due to their efforts, the member states of the United Nations unanimously adopted the first ever annual day of global ceasefire and non-violence on 21st of December, um, and that was called Peace Day. So Peace Day is basically a non-profit organisation that uh, promotes uh, global peace. Their objective is to institutionalise Peace Day on the 21st of December, making it a day that's self-sustaining, an annual day of global unity, a day of intercultural cooperation on a scale that humanity has never known. And that video there was was made just as a way for... um, Piece one day to promote this idea, which I think is a, uh, a you know a worthy thing to do. So there you heard Michael Caine reading out uh, If by Rudyard Kipling. And if you didn't understand that, don't worry, because I'm going to explain all of it in just a moment. Okay, um, you heard the sentiment at the end there being basically, if you can do all of these things, then... Um, You'll be a man, my son, now, girls listening, I hope you can relate to this too, even though he does say you'll be a man, my son. I think it's probably uh, i think I think these ideas are universal, and this applies to everyone facing the challenges of life. Let's now go through the poem again and uh, we'll look more closely at the words, the prose, um, and uh, I'll explain it all to you, okay. So remember, you can read all of this on the page for the episode where you can see um, the poem written out and other things that I'm saying. So let's start the poem again from the beginning. And it goes like this. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. Okay, so basically this is like if you're in a stressful situation in which everyone else is losing their heads and saying it's your fault, but you stay cool and stay in control... So if you can keep your head, to keep your head means basically keep you know, keep yourself under control, not lose control, okay? To so keep your head or to lose your head. So in this case, if, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, so you're in this stressful situation, everyone else is losing their minds or losing their heads and they're all blaming it on you, if you can kind of stay cool and calm and in control in those situations... If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. Okay, so uh, this would be, for example, if everyone doubts you, if they're not sure about you, but you are sure about yourself, so you trust yourself, but at the same time, you still consider their doubts in you. You don't ignore the questions that they might have about you. So let's say, I don't know, you're in a leadership position at work or something, and you um, uh, you, you know, you've got people around you who doubt whether your decision-making is right or you're doing the right thing, um, but you manage to trust yourself, but don't ignore the, the doubts that they have about you. Um, okay, so if you can wait and not be tired by waiting, which is basically um, if you can be patient, because we know that patience is a virtue, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, so this would be when other people are lying about you, but you manage to avoid lying in return. So, you know, if you can stay honest, even when everyone else is uh, bending the truth against you, or being hated, don't give way to hating. So this is uh, if other people hate you, if you are being hated by people, and you feel pressure to hate them too in return, uh, but you resist that pressure and you don't give in to hatred or give way to hatred. So for example, you don't let hatred come in. I know it's sounding a bit like the Jedi code here. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to go back to Star Wars now. But anyway, it, um, or being hated, don't give way to hating. So if when you're being with people are hating you, you don't uh, let yourself become hateful too. And yet don't look too good, nor talk too wise. I think Michael Caine actually misread a couple of words in this poem. Um, So, in in fact, the original text is, don't look too good nor talk too wise, because he said, don't look too good nor look too wise. But anyway, if you don't look too good, so if you sort of stay modest in your appearance, nor talk too wise, so don't talk like you know it all. So basically stay modest in your appearance and in your behaviour or the way that you speak if you can dream and not make dreams your master. So that means if you can you can have dreams and have ambitions and ideas, but keep them in perspective so that you're not just a dreamer. You're not just a person who has their head in the clouds, but someone who is still practical and pragmatic. So if you can have ambitions, but still be a practical person, someone who does things, not just thinks about things. And if you can think, and not make thoughts your aim. So this means that if you can be thoughtful, if you can be a thoughtful person, but manage to actually do things rather than just thinking about things all the time. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat these two imposters just the same. Okay. So um, this means uh, if you can meet with triumph and disaster, that means if you have triumph or we have big successes, or if you have Disaster in your life, like big failures, and you can consider those two things to be kind of the same. So, for example, that means don't let success go to your head, but don't let failure get you down either. Okay. Um, And uh, Kipling says that both of those things are imposters. So, an imposter is something or someone who's not welcome or someone who is pretending to be someone else. For example, someone who claims to be an experienced pilot and fakes their their ID or their pilot's license. That's an imposter. Um, Or someone in a hospital who claims to be a doctor but isn't. So that would be an imposter. Uh, But in this case, triumph and disaster are are the two imposters. So these things which come in that aren't welcome, even if you don't realise at first that they're they're not welcome. Um, So... I mean, just an example of that, If you can, try, how can triumph and disaster both be considered imposters? Well, you know, success can go to your head and it can make you arrogant and kind of um, inflate your ego and make you think you're better than you are. And that can be dangerous because of hubris. Um, and uh, disaster also can be, you know, bad for you too, because if you fail, that can make you feel bad too. But so ultimately what you need to be able to do is Um, be level-headed. When you have a success, don't let it go to your head. And if you have a failure, don't let it get you down too much. And um, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. So this means if you can stand having your words manipulated by dishonest people. So a knave is a word that we don't really use anymore, but it basically means a dishonest person. Um, for example, if you, if you're a public figure and in the, in the media, in the, in the press, your, your words are twisted against you. you, you know, sort of, for example, if you're quoted out of context or someone, uh, takes your words and makes them sound like you said something else as a way of kind of, you know, uh, criticizing you unfairly, or maybe in a court of law, if you've been accused of a crime that you didn't commit and, um, the, the evidence that you gave has been twisted against you to try and make you seem guilty. So if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. Um, so uh, twisted in this case means changed or distorted or manipulated and uh, knaves spelled K-N-A-V-E-S this would be dishonest and untrusty, untrustworthy. Dishonest and untrustworthy people. It's quite an old-fashioned word. Or watch the things you gave your life to broken, and stoop, and build them up with worn-out tools. This means if you see your life's work ruined, and then you just start again, even though the tools that you're using are damaged by lots of use. So, for example, if you've spent, you know, your life building something like building a house or whatever, and you see the house get ruined by something—I don't know—a storm or. Or, or vandalism or something, and you stoop, you 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 bend down, and you build it up all again from the beginning, even though the tools you're using are actually worn out because they're so old. So if you can do that, and if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it in one turn of pitch and toss. So this would mean if you take a big pile of all the money that you've won um, and risk it all in one go, uh, if you're willing to take big risks, basically. Um, a game of pitch and toss, is an I think it's an old gambling game, in which you pitch a coin, you throw it towards a mark on the ground, and the one who gets closest to the mark wins the right to Uh, to toss all the coins which have been thrown. So to toss them means to to throw them, but specifically to toss a coin means to throw it up so it spins and then lands. And if you you win, you can toss all the coins and you keep all the ones that land with the heads facing up. See, this is basically how a game of pitch and toss works. You throw the coins forwards to try and get them closest to a mark and the person who wins gets the right to probably keep about half of the coins that have been thrown. Uh, So basically, if you can win loads of money in a game and then risk it all on one game and lose and start again at your beginnings, so that would be and then just lose but start again from scratch, and never breathe a word about your loss. So never tell anyone that you lost, which might be hard. Kind of keep it secret or keep it to yourself uh, if you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, so this would be even when you're exhausted, let's say you're, you're climbing a mountain or something, or you're working, you're working really, really hard, physical work. And if you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they're gone. So even when you're exhausting exhausted, you keep going and force your body to keep going your sinew, that means your tendons or ligaments. These are parts of the body that attach the muscles to the bones. You know, you've got the bone, uh, uh, let's say in your leg, um, you've got the bone and muscles, which are, you know, the things that actually move, um, you know, your leg around. And tendons and ligaments, these are the a bit like cords or, or, um, yeah, a bit like cords, sort of strong cords that attach the muscle to the bone and help the muscle to actually move the leg around. Uh, this is known as sinew. It's a general word for tendons and ligaments. So if you, if you can uh, force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they're gone. So if, if you can basically force your body to keep going, even when you're exhausted, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on, so just using your willpower, your strength of mind, um, you force your muscles, your heart, your ligaments to resist and keep going. So basically, if, you can, if you're strong enough mentally to keep going, even when your body is exhausted, if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, so if you can stay honest and moral, even when you have the attention of a crowd of people... Um, For example, you might feel pressure to, if you're standing up in front of a group of people, maybe, you know, if you're a politician or something, or again, you're in a leadership position and you've got the attention of a crowd of people, you might feel pressure to perhaps lie or bend the truth or tell them the things that they want to hear in order to um, get their support. Um, So, if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, so virtue is basically doing and thinking what is morally right. Okay, the adjective for that is virtuous. So if you can stay virtuous even when everyone is listening to you, and um, and you want to please everyone, if you can kind of still do the right thing, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. So that would be if you spend time with rich and powerful people. But you never lose touch with ordinary life and ordinary people, and if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, foes, a foe is an enemy. Okay, friend or foe. So a foe is like the opposite of a friend, an enemy. Again, quite an old-fashioned word. Uh, I think enemies is probably a a more modern word. So, but if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, so basically, if you're not affected by criticism or praise that's kind of going back to that thing of, uh, what was it? Um, What were the two imposters that we had earlier? We had um, uh, triumph and disaster. So sort of similar to that. Uh, If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. So if your enemies uh, can't hurt you, but your friends can hurt you too, perhaps by praising you too much. Um, If all men count with you, but none too much. So if you value everybody equally, uh, the idea that everyone counts equally, everyone is important, um, in, and all men or all people count with you. If someone counts, it means that they are basically important, you know. If something is important, you can say it counts. Like your your opinion really counts, or your feedback counts. So, if if all men, all people count with you, but none of them too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run. So this basically means that if you can make the most out of every single minute, uh, the unforgiving minutes, that basically means 60 seconds, the the, the whole 60 seconds in the minute, no more, no less. So if you can fill uh, every single minute, if you have the stamina, the strength and the determination to do your absolute best in every second of every minute, then yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And, which is more, you'll be a man, my son, or a woman, my daughter. <laughs> okay, that was from the, the, the book where that comes from is called A Choice of Kipling's Verse, which was published in 1943. Okay, then. So quite a lot of vocab in there, and a sentiment, I think, which you know most people tend to agree with, that basically, if you can do all of these things, which is next to impossible, then... You know that's the path to being exactly the right kind of person. If you could, if you manage to to do all of those things, if you can be so virtuous and and fair and under control and honest and so on, then the 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 earth is yours. And I think it's a um, I think it's a positive uh, message, isn't it? Um, certainly, I think so. Rather than saying, you know, if you can cheat and just You know, take as much as you can without caring about other people. Then the world is yours. I think it's a more positive message to say that if you can be honest and trustworthy, and and you know, self-controlled and modest, that these are um, things which uh, are virtuous. These are virtuous traits or virtuous uh, types of uh, behaving, virtuous ways to behave. Let me now play you Michael Caine's thoughts on this from the same recording um, that you heard earlier on. So this is the um, video uploaded by Peace One Day. And you'll now hear Michael Caine sort of giving his thoughts on the poem and also talking about peace as well. So as you listen to this, um, I'd like to try and identify which lines specifically he, he talks about and why do they mean things to him. So what do these lines specifically mean to him? Here we go.
1: The Kipling poem is it's one of my favourites since since I was a, a boy at school. My father read it to me once. And I think it, it, it to me as a little boy, it summed up what a man should be. And later on, when, it, when I became an actor, it, 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 there were a couple of lines in there that, that affected me. It's, uh, one was, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, It's a very good thing for an actor because an actor's life doesn't consist of any medium things. Everything is either a hit or an absolute disaster. So there was that one. And then there is another line, which is, if you can hear the words you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, well, that's the press as far as actors are concerned (laughs) because you're always saying something and you go, wait a minute, I never said that. (laughs) And so it it, it stayed with me all my life, right until this very day, you know. The war, for a start, took my dad away for six years. I never forgave it for that. You know, war disrupts everything. I was evacuated on my own and ill-treated and all that sort Everything went wrong, you know. Peace, things go right. I was a soldier when I was 19. I, I spent my 19th year in Korea as a, as a fusilier infantryman. And so I know what I'm talking about when I talk about war and it's the most disgusting thing that you could ever think of. And I've also noticed with every single war has been declared by men who are too old to go. And it's made me suspicious.
0: (laughs) Okay. So he mentioned several lines from the poem there that um, stuck out for him Uh, The first one being, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. He's talking about uh, working in films. And, you know, when you make films, uh, some films that you make can be either very successful or huge failures. And so as an actor working in films, you've got to be able to kind of, uh, you know, deal with the successes and the failures throughout your career in the way that's kind of explained in the poem. And also he said um, the line, uh, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, hit he- there I think he's referring to the press, especially the tabloid press. Um, so when you're a famous actor, the press, like the newspapers, sometimes, um, sometimes uh, the press sometimes takes your words and uses them against you. Uh, this is where, you know, especially the tabloid press might... Uh, write um, stories about your personal life or stories about the things that you've said and done um, and perhaps twist the things that you've said in order to try and make a shocking story which will sell lots of newspapers. So um, any famous person in the UK will be uh, familiar with that feeling because um, the tabloid press in Britain can be very, um, uh, you know, they like to, to write scandalous stories and they tend to, they're quite well known for uh, invading the privacy of, uh, celebrities and, and things like that. Um, on the subject of war and peace, he said that war ruins everything. And he has firsthand experience uh, of being a fusilier in, in Korea. Um, and also he said that every single war, this is something he's he'd noticed. Every single war has been declared by men who are too old to go. And this has made him suspicious. Okay. Then now, um, so you heard Michael Caine's voice there. Uh, it is quite distinctive, isn't it? He comes from the east end of London. So it's he's got a Cockney accent underneath it all. Basically, it's a Cockney accent. It's not very strong, but it is there. Also, his voice is unique, just like everybody's voice is unique, and it's quite well known. So it's in fact so well known that he's one of those actors that lots of people can impersonate. There's Michael Caine and Sean Connery. These are two actors from the UK that lots of British people can can impersonate. And the thing about doing Michael Caine is that what he tends to do is that he will speak a bit like this. And sometimes, you know, that's kind of he, he tends to point when he speaks and sometimes his voice goes very quiet. And then sometimes he speaks very loudly, like that. The, the most famous thing that Michael Caine has ever said in any of his films was from a film um, called The Italian Job, which was made in the 1960s. And in that film, basically, it's a kind of a bank robbery uh, comedy film from the 60s. And there's a moment in the film where uh, they're testing some explosives. Uh, this gang who are going to do a robbery they're testing how they're going to blow the doors off a van. So they're going to try and steal some gold from the back of a van. And so they're, they're testing some explosives to see if it's possible to blow the doors off the van. And in the scene, they test the explosives and uh, the the guy uses uh, too many explosives and the whole van explodes, like the whole thing explodes. And Michael Caine famously says, you were only supposed to blow the bloody doors off, which is something that everybody knows as a famous quote by Michael Caine. So when everyone, whenever anyone does an impression of Michael Caine, they always say that line. Let's hear the line from the, from the film.
1: Five, four, three, two, one, go. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off.
0: So everyone knows this um, this line, OK? Now, let's hear some Michael Caine impressions from the TV show The Trip, which I've talked about on this podcast before. I highly recommend that you watch it. The Trip is basically two very funny comedians and actors uh, from, from the UK uh, called Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. And the show is about them going on uh, a trip around uh, the countryside in England, and they visit different restaurants. And essentially, we just kind of spend some time with them as they kind of have conversations. And they're so funny and interesting that it's just very entertaining to sit with them and listen to their conversations. And sometimes they do impressions. They're brilliant impressionists. And they sit there having dinner, and they do impressions. And they, they sort of there's a bit of competition going on between the two of them as they try to uh, beat each other for like who can who can do the best impressions, and this is a clip from the trip, the first series of the trip where they do uh, where they do their Michael Caine impressions.
2: Well, broadsheet journalists have described my impressions as stunningly
3: accurate. Well, they're wrong. I've not heard your Michael Caine, but I assume it would be something along the lines of. My name's Michael Caine. That is
2: where you are so wrong. And you can look at my live video for proof, because that's that's the very thing I don't do. I say that he used to talk like that. Do you Michael Caine? Okay, I say, Michael Caine used to talk like this in the 1960s, right? But that has changed. And I say that over the years, Michael's voice has come down several octaves. Let me finish. And all of the cigars and the brandy don't let me finish can now be heard. Okay. I've not fucking finished in the back of the voice and the voice okay. now. We'll, I've still not finished the voice... i you panicking. I've, you yeah, because you look st- like you're about to bloody talk. Let me finish. Right, so, Michael Caine's voice now in the Batman movies and in Harry Brown. I can't go fast because Michael Caine talks very, very, This is how Michael Caine speaks.
3: Michael Caine speaks to his nose like that. He gets very, very specific. It's very like that. When he gets loudly, it gets very loud indeed. It gets very specific. It's not quite nasal enough the way you're doing it, all right? You're not doing it the way he speaks. You're not doing it with the kind of... And you don't do the broken voice when he gets very emotional. When he gets very emotional indeed. She was only 16 years old. She was only stick You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. That's Michael Caine.
0: <clears throat> All right. Let's actually hear a, a clip of Michael Caine from uh, the film The Dark Knight Rises, which is one of the Batman films uh, directed by uh, Christopher Nolan. Let's hear a bit of um, Michael Caine as um, the butler, Alfred. Alfred, isn't it? Yeah. Talking to Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne, who is also Batman. Did you know that Bruce Wayne is Batman? Yeah. Spoiler alert! No, it's not a spoiler. Anyway, here's Michael Caine in here's Michael Caine in the Batman films. This is from a quite an emotional scene where um, Alfred is explaining to Bruce Wayne that he's leaving. He's going to leave him. He's been looking after uh, Bruce Wayne uh, since he was a child, but he's and he used to look after Bruce Wayne's parents. But Bruce Wayne is leaving because it's the only way that. Um, no, sorry. Alfred is leaving because it's the only way that he can uh, try and persuade Bruce Wayne to stop being Batman because I don't want to bury another Batman or you know, I'm not going to bury you, you know, that sort of thing. I'm not going to bury, I'll bury your parents and I'm not going to bury you. Um, and so let's just hear Michael Caine's real voice. Here we go.
1: I've sewn you up, I've set your bones, but I won't bury you. I've buried enough members of the Wayne family. You'll leave me? You see only one end to your journey. Leaving is all I have to make you understand. You're not Batman anymore. You have to find another way. You used to talk about finishing about a life beyond that awful cave. Alfred, Rachel died
4: knowing that we had decided to be together. That was my life beyond the cave. I can't just move on. She
1: she didn't. She couldn't. What if she had? She, I mean, I can't change that. What if before she died, she wrote a letter saying she chose Harvey Dent over you? And what if, to spare you pain, I burnt that letter? How dare you use Rachel to try to stop me? I am using The truth, Master Wayne. Maybe it's time we all stop trying to outsmart the truth and let it have its day. I'm I'm sorry. You're sorry. You expect to destroy my world. And then think that we're going to shake hands. No, no. I know what this means. What does it mean? It means your hatred... And it also means losing someone that I have cared for since I first heard his cries echo through this house. But it might also mean saving your life.
0: And that is more important to by our OK, nice acting. Let's hear some more impressions of Michael Caine. This is again Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden from the second series of the trip. Here we go.
3: I was wondering whether you'd
0: actually booked the mini in Italy, the Italian job, just to give
3: you the opportunity to say, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Um, But I've done it now, so hopefully that'll be an end to it. Do you Michael Caine?
2: Did you see him in The Dark Knight Rises? And his voice gets even more emotional than it's ever done in the past before. I don't want to bury you, Batman. I will not put you into the ground in a little box. I will not do it, Master Bruce. I will not do it. I'm not going to bury another Batman. Another Batman? How, how many Batmans has he been burying? How many are there? I've buried 14 Batmans so far. I've And their little pointy ears in a box. I'm not going to
3: bury another nylon cloak with pointy ears that people wear at birthday parties.
2: With a little belt, a very wide belt that the is flattering to a man with an expanded girth. The... I won't do that to you, Master Bruce. Bruce. You I will Austin. not do it to you. And I won't make the voice like that. The voice even right. he's basically yodeling. And then Christian Bale says, What do you say, man? He, so he puts his tongue up in front. I want to be a madman. I don't want to be a normal guy. You sound deaf. Well, see, He's got the world. so nobody can recognize him. I can't understand a word you're saying, Master Bruce. Talk to me as Master Bruce, not as Batman. Why, why oh, does he... He... Why so he, he...? So he could have the cloak of anonymity. But oh, he doesn't he sound...
3: He said, here's that bloke in the cloak with the, with the, who sounds like he's deaf again. Like, he's like... Deaf it's friend. not anonymous, is he's it? My deaf hero. No wonder when Batman arrives, starts speaking like that, starts looking at the shoes. Because they're all thinking, oh, God, why does he talk like that? Poor fella, you know. And what about Tom Hardy? As Bane, did you catch well, he's a like, He's like, word? They're like, they're like competing to see yeah. who's the most, the, the least understandable.
2: Bane, you're never gonna me, you're
0: never gonna me.
2: Take off your mask, love, I can't catch a word oh, you're saying.
0: Oh. I don't know if you've ever seen The Dark Knight Rises, but there's a character in it called Bane, and he wears this terrifying mask on his face, but the, the he's played by Tom Hardy, the brilliant Tom Hardy. But the thing is no one can actually understand anything he says. He speaks like that. No one can actually hear what he says. He's a wonderful actor. Don't get me wrong. Tom no, Hardy's no, very very, he's, very muscular, he's, yeah. so he's terrific know. actor. No, no, he's a bit, he's, terrific he's actor. good. He's scary good. Yeah. Scary yeah.
2: good.
3: Yeah. All
0: right then. So there you go. I I, f- I feel like, you know what? I feel like I'd like to play a bit more of Michael Caine because um, I think that you can. There are several rather good Michael Caine impressions on the internet, including Michael Caine himself doing an impression of himself.
1: It's it's wonderful actually sitting here and listening to a talk because it, I mean yours is is the most impersonated voice in in the business, isn't it? Oh yeah, everybody. Do. Does I, it. I can do it. Can you do it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello, my name is Michael Caine. <laughs> Finish it. I'm, I'm not finished I'm not finished yet. not many people know that. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like this bloody moron. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, my name's Michael Caine. So, you see, she can't really, you know. You know where they've got me now? What? on On a, on a... <laughs> they have me on the, uh, birthday cards, you know. Yes, yeah, when you you're on job. It's your birthday today, not very people know that. <laughs> They've got me, uh, you know, on the uh, satellite navigation. Yeah. You know, where you're in the car. Where yeah. it's a, it's a, and it, So, it's, it's me going now. I take the secretary, and, all that <laughs> and you'll wind up right in the ship. Said, if anybody's very, very good at sat nav with my, my, me giving instructions on it, I you, watch out where you go. That's all. I, I, uh, we, we looked it, I said, I, everyone said, "Have you been doing sat navs?" I said, "No, I don't do sat navs."
0: <laughs> Satnavs, right? The you know GPS, um, satellite navigation in your car. Uh, if you know, it tells you where you're going. Normally, it's like a nice sort of uh, well-spoken woman, isn't it? I call her Sally Satnav. She says, "Take the next road on your left." You know that, that woman. You can change the voice, but apparently, you can get Michael Caine doing the satnav. Take the next road on the left, and uh, that that would be fun, wouldn't it? You know,
1: I, don't, oh, yeah. I don't do birthday cards either.
0: <laughs> Or birthday cards.
1: But you know, all I have to print is that this is an impersonation by Joe Stoll, That's right. And no, you can't no, do that's anything. That's right, exactly. So yeah. what about what you, you impersonating other people? Because Ken Brown has said last week on this show, he said that you... I not, saw that. He said, did. I can't impersonate Sean. That's what he said. Yeah, no, what he said to me, he said, he said to me, he said, could you impersonate Sean? So I said, yeah, he said, go and do it. And he thought that was funny. I didn't think it was funny. No, well, it, it is funny, but it's not like Sean. It's not a bit like Sean. Is no, it? it's not, not at all, no. no. But who can you impersonate? Uh, Dudley Moore. Oh, yeah. Hello, Pete, how are you going? <laughs> <laughs> you know what Pete? That bloody Bridget Bardo came in the other day. Right through the window, she was in the bar. I
0: said, get out, you dirty cow. Okay. All right, then. Um, Just before we uh, finish here, what I'd like to do is go through some of the vocab again that you heard in the poem when this episode was serious. Um, So let's do a little vocab review. So we've got keep your head. Keep your head, which means stay calm, stay in control. Come on, don't panic. Keep your head. Uh, Don't lose your head, meaning don't lose self-control. You got to remember that all at all times. Keep your head. Don't lose. Don't lose your head. Don't panic to blame it on someone else. You know, if there's been a problem like, I don't know, you dropped something, a big plate full of spaghetti was dropped on the floor and the boss comes in and what's all this spaghetti doing on the floor? And you blame someone else. It wasn't my fault. It was, it was, it was Dave. It was Dave who did it. He, um, He just threw it on the floor. I don't know what... He's lost his head. He's just... He can't take the pressure. It's Dave's fault. And then your boss says, come on, don't blame it on Dave. We all know that you did it. Butterfingers. Butterfingers is is, uh, an expression that you could use to someone... uh, to describe someone who drops things a lot. Yes. Okay. Um, Next thing is to have doubts. Doubts. And I think you know what doubts are. These are things you're not sure about. Um, Yeah. Um, As a teacher... I have noticed sometimes that my students uh, might raise their hand if they have a question and they say, teacher, I have a doubt. Uh, We don't normally use it like that in English. In that situation, we'd say, I have a question. But anyway, a doubt is just something you're not sure about. Like, um, uh, like, let's say someone has, Dave has asked you to marry him. And you're like, oh, Dave has asked me to marry him. But, you know, I, I said yes. But to be honest, I'm having my doubts now because, um, you know, you don't want to marry Dave. He's the sort of person who would throw a plate of spaghetti on the floor. He loses his head and just throws spaghetti on the floor. Like if you give him a big plate of spaghetti and go, they take that into the restaurant and serve it to all the people who ordered spaghetti. Dave's like, what? 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 I've got to carry this and I've got, to... oh, no, God, got... I can't take it. And then pff, he throws the spaghetti on the floor. So you wouldn't want to marry Dave. He's very sweet, but I can imagine if he proposed to you, you would have your doubts. Anyway, the, the thing here is that, Uh, the pronunciation of doubt. Uh, It does have a B in it, D-O-U-B-T, but the B is silent. So it's doubt, not doubt. Okay, doubt, silent B. Okay, next thing is to make allowance for something or to take something into account. And if you take something into account or you make allowance for something, it means you include something in your decision-making process. For example, when I plan English lessons, I have to make allowances for the fact that uh, my students come from different countries and different cultural backgrounds, so they might not have all the same references, okay? So if I'm planning a lesson, I have to kind of take that into account. I mean, I, I have to include that factor in the lesson planning process, you see. Um, don't give way to to hatred. Don't give way to anger or frustration. If you give way to something, it means you yield to it, or you give into it, or you, you kind of you let it into your... You let it into your life, or you you don't resist it. Yes, that's to to give way to something is when you don't resist it. Um, you know, like for example, don't give in to hatred. If you give in to hatred, it's the path to the dark side, of course, isn't it? Yes. Uh, next one is to be wise or to have wisdom. So, if you're wise, it means that you are you have lots of knowledge and experience. Um, okay. So it means you're very clever, you're intelligent, uh, because you have lots of knowledge and you had lots of experiences in your life. So typically sort of, you, you imagine a wise person to be probably a very old person, like your grandmother might be wise. She's got lots of very good advice because she's been around a bit. She's seen a few things in her time, so she's learned, you know, about life. So she's probably the one with the best advice. She's very wise, you see. Or, you know, a wise old man like, like Gandalf from Lord of the Rings or Dumbledore or Obi-Wan Kenobi. Basically, old guys with grey hair and beards often tend to be quite wise, don't they? You know, and they kind of give you the best advice because of their wisdom. Um, to keep something in perspective which just means, you know, think about things in a reasonable way. Like, let's keep things in perspective. Um, Okay, sure, we're locked up in a Turkish jail, but at least we have each other. It's not that bad. Let's keep things in perspective. Okay, that's a bad example. Uh, Another example would be, the doctor says, I have uh, a one in 200 chance of survival. Like, for example, the doctor says, I've got an illness and it can't be treated. And I've got a, a, a one in 200 chance of survival. Oh, my God. Don't panic. Don't panic. Keep your head. Let's keep things in perspective. One in 200 is actually quite good. And you're quite young. You're in good shape. You're strong. Don't panic. Keep things in perspective. So that's where you kind of um, don't exaggerate things or don't um, make things seem bigger or, or or worse or more significant than they actually are. Keep things in perspective. Uh, to treat someone or treat something like something. So to treat someone like an idiot or treat someone like a fool. Um, you know, don't treat me like an idiot, Tony. Don't treat me like an idiot, Dave. We all know that you threw those that spaghetti on the floor. Come on, look, it's all over your trousers, Dave. You can't lie to Don't treat me like an idiot, Dave. Um, to treat someone like someone just Dave, you treat to be honest, Dave. I'm very disappointed you've been treating everyone like fools and you've treated you've treated um Kimberly really badly throughout the whole process. You should be ashamed of yourself, Dave. Okay, um, I don't know what this this Dave spaghetti situation is. Never mind. So, imposters, we've had that before, haven't we? Imposters, people who kind of fake their identity in order to get in somewhere. Um, i think the most common usage of an imposter is when you feel like an imposter which i think is quite a common thing for us to feel like we you know you might feel like an imposter if you feel like you don't you don't deserve the success that you've had or when you're in a situation and you don't deserve to be in that situation because we feel inferior so you kind of feel like you're faking it like i don't know if you've You've been given given a promotion in your job, and you don't feel like you deserved it. And then next thing you know, you're at the you're at the big boardroom meeting with all the company bosses, and you're there too. And you're like, "Oh god, I don't think I deserve to be here. I feel a bit like an imposter, to be honest." That's how we use the word more often than like someone who's a criminal who's faking their identity. I think we normally say things like, "I felt like an imposter. I feel a bit like an imposter." Um. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that? When you're in a situation and you look around and everyone else seems to be really impressive, everyone else seems so much better than you, they're all so clever, they've achieved so much, and you feel like you're not as good as them and you're not worthy to be there. You feel like an imposter. It's actually a very common feeling. I think this might be the the situation in which the word imposter is most commonly used today when we feel like we're in a situation that we don't deserve to be in um rather than someone who's intentionally sneaked into a place by lying. If you have ever felt like that, and we all we've all felt that that way, I think. We've all felt like an imposter at certain times in our lives. If you have felt like that, here's a nice anecdote from uh, a writer called Neil Gaiman. He's a great author of short fiction novels. Neil Gaiman N E I L, Neil and Gaiman is spelled G A I M A N. He's an author of, of sort of fiction novels, comic books, and graphic novels. I found this article on a website called Quartz.com, and it quotes Neil Gaiman from his Tumblr page talking about imposter syndrome. Let me just read the anecdote uh, here. So this is the post on Quartz.com. It comes in the night. It comes for us all. Imposter syndrome, that constant feeling That you're you're about to be revealed as a total fraud. It seizes even the most successful among uh, us normal people. Here's an example, an encounter between beloved author Neil Gaiman and another Neil, one whose historical importance can hardly be overstated. Gaiman wrote this on his blog uh, on the 12th of May about meeting a legendary man who said he felt out of place among great artists and scientists. Okay. And in fact, he's talking about Neil Armstrong, the first person to walk on the moon. Okay. So this is what Neil Gaiman wrote. He said, um, some helpful advice about feeling like an imposter could be in the form of an anecdote. Some years ago, I was lucky enough to be invited to a gathering of great and good people, artists and scientists, writers and discoverers of things. And I felt that at any moment, they would realise that I didn't qualify to be there among these people who had really done things. On my second or third night there, I was standing at the back of the hall while a musical entertainment happened. And I started talking to a very nice, polite, elderly gentleman about several things, including our shared first name. And then he pointed to the hall of people and said the words to the effect of, I just look at all these people and I think, what the heck am I doing here? They've made amazing things. I just went where I was sent. And I said, yes, but you were the first man on the moon. I think that counts for something. And I felt a bit better because if Neil Armstrong felt like an imposter, maybe everyone did. Maybe there weren't any grown-ups, only people who'd worked hard and also got lucky and were slightly out of their depth all of us doing the best job we could, which is all we can really hope for. So there you go. If you've ever felt like an imposter, like you felt like you were in a situation uh, that you didn't deserve to be in, well, you can sort of take some comfort in the knowledge that even Neil Armstrong feels like an imposter sometimes too. Um, Okay. So how about you? Have you ever felt like an imposter? You could write your story your anecdote in the comment section if you like. Uh, Next phrase is uh, to bear to do something. And it's usually used with can't bear like I just can't bear to do something I just can't bear to see him like this. Dave is just so uh depressed after he lost his job and what was her name Kimberly uh, refused his um, his offer of marriage he's just so depressed off he just he, he he doesn't get out of bed in the mornings he's just constantly throwing spaghetti on the floor. I just can't bear to see him like this. <laughs> oh dear, I just don't know what I'm going to do. What are we going to do about Dave? It's all right. Don't panic. Don't lose your head. Just let's keep things in perspective. All right. So to bear to do something. If you can can bear to do it, it means that it's hard to do, but you can do it anyway. Or if you can't bear to do it, it basically means you can't stand doing it. You can't manage it. Okay. I I really uh, can't handle seeing him like this. Uh, I can't manage uh, that. And I I just can't see him like that. I can't cope with it. I can't bear it. I can't handle it. Um, Next thing is to stoop, to stoop. And that means to bend down. Remember if you, you know, if all your life's work gets destroyed and you stoop and pick it all up again or build it all up again, to stoop means to bend down. Okay. Um, And we've got to build something up, which would be to create something from the bottom up not just to build something, but to build something up from the bottom up to the top. Uh, We have a heap of something. It was a a heap of winnings, I think. A heap is like a pile. So you might have, most of us have a heap of clothing somewhere in our house. Maybe next to the washing machine, there might be a heap of clothing or in your bedroom, a heap of clothing in the corner, probably. Um, uh, Winnings, basically, that's all the stuff that you won. So like a heap of Winnings, like it would be a pile of coins. Your winnings is all the stuff that you've won. Don't breathe a word. Don't breathe a don't breathe a word of this to Kimberly. She mustn't find out um, what what state Dave is in because if she finds out that Dave is so depressed, it's going to break her heart. Don't breathe a word of this to Kimberly. Shh, keep it secret. So, don't breathe a word of something means don't reveal this secret. Don't tell anyone about it. Don't breathe a word of this. Um, we've got the word virtue and virtuous. So the opposite of virtue is dishonor or evil or immorality. Okay, uh, so virtue is like doing the, the the morally right thing, and to be virtuous. Okay, um, the next one is the common touch. If you have the common touch, it means that you have the ability to appeal to ordinary people. Uh, he really has the common touch. Like, you know, you can imagine a politician who is really good at appealing to ordinary people. And when this politician does public um, appearances and they they talk to members of the public, they just have a particular way of of being charming and appealing to ordinary people. He really does have the common touch, doesn't he? Um, A friend. uh, What's the opposite of a friend? Do you remember? It's a synonym of the word enemy. That's right. It's a foe. F-O-E. Who goes there, friend or foe? Okay, slightly old-fashioned word. And then we've got the the verb to count. Now, we know to count would be with numbers, like one. Can you count? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, I can count. Yeah. Uh, But also the expression, uh, the verb count, meaning to have merit or to have importance or to have value or to deserve consideration. For example, all opinions count. That's why we'd like you to take our survey because we think that everyone's opinion counts, or come on, hurry up, we've got to we've got to um we've got to get moving every second counts, meaning we don't have much time, every second counts. okay, so that was just a review of uh, vocab that you heard in the poem, and we are pretty much done here. Um, I would just like to let you listen to the poem one more time. You know, it's important to hear uh, these things uh, a number of times. You know, you hear it once, you understand some of it. You hear it again, you understand a bit more. And if you hear it for a third time, that's when it really starts to stick. So I'm going to play um, you another bit of audio from a video on YouTube. And this is um, from a, a film, I think it's called Dave Bassett, England Manager or something. And it's basically a fil- a, an English film um, and basically, there's a character called Dave Bassett, and he is, um, he's an England football manager in the film. I think I haven't seen the film, but I think this is a film about a guy who becomes the England football coach, and uh, he fails, as you would expect, because you know most of the time the England football team fail; they get knocked out of the World Cup, you know, and stuff like that. So this is the England football manager in this film played by uh, Ricky Tomlinson, isn't it? Ricky Tomlinson, who is from Liverpool. So this guy's got a Scouse accent. So he's from Liverpool. He's got a Scouse accent like that. And he's going to read out If by Rudyard Kipling at a press conference. Okay? So this is him reading out the poem at a press conference. Um, I guess this is his way of expressing... Uh, the difficulty of being the England manager and it's expressed through this poem that he reads out in front of all these journalists so you're hearing the sound of the press conference all the journalists are sitting there waiting and Dave Bassett comes in he's got to face the music here and this is when he reads out the poem in just a moment
4: uh, ladies and gentlemen, I've had a long, hard think about the events of the last few days and I've had to make one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make in my life. Um, and I've decided to carry on as the England manager. You cannot
3: be serious, Mike. Come on, you have to realise your situation is completely untenable.
4: No, it's not necessarily so. I've had a word with the appropriate bodies and uh, told them how very, very sorry I am.
2: If one of your players acted in the same way, he'd be on the next plane home, and you know it. Yeah,
4: it yeah. yeah but I, I, I've, I've been on antidepressants, and along with some lagers and a few sambuca, chasers, oh, wine, Chimera and Why? the old glass of wine. It's oh. time to step down. No, not at all. I've, I've had uh, i words with Mr. Mr. Lightfoot, and he's be, he's behind That's me all the
0: way. Yeah. You understand what's going on—that he's decided not to quit, he's decided not to resign, despite the fact that I imagine he's done some things wrong, or maybe just um, the, the team has failed or something. Okay, so he's just trying to justify the fact that he's not going to resign.
3: Thanks, mate. Jeffrey Lightfoot doesn't want you. You know, the team doesn't want you. The fans don't want you. We don't want you. Yeah. Nobody. Mike, even your wife's left you. It's not as if you've got anything keeping you here, have you? You know, trying to pick up your coat, I think. You'll
4: have a whip round for the plane <laughs> <laughs> No, in God's just go, eh? They all it's want finished, to... it's over, isn't it? Is the end of time.
0: They all want him to go. They're saying, come on, get your coat, it's
4: over. About if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you and make allowance for their doubting too If you can dream and not make dreams your master If you can think and not make thoughts your aim If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you've gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, you lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to save your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, and all men count with you, but none too much, If you can fill the unforgiving minutes with 60 seconds' worth of distance run, yours is the earth, and everything that's in it. And which is more? You'll be a man, my son. Ladies and gentlemen, England will be playing 4-4-2.
0: Okay, ladies and gentlemen, England will be playing Four four two or four four fucking two in this case. The passionate moment there at the end of the speech, four four two is a strategy that um, like uh, is used um, by managers. So that's four players at the back, four players in the middle, and two players at the front. You see four four two. There's different ways of you know arranging your players on the pitch, four four two or four, three, three, you know, different ways. So the, the emotional climax of that, of him reading out that poem when everyone else wants him to go was him est- essentially putting his foot down and saying, England will be playing four, four, two. Um, so him kind of, uh, establishing his, um, his leadership there by um, making it clear what strategy England would play on the football pitch. All right, then. So that's pretty much the end of this episode of uh, Luke's English Podcast, which was about one of the UK's favourite poems. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I did an episode a while ago called um, The Chaos of English Pronunciation, which also included a couple of poems. Poems which are... um, full of notoriously difficult words to pronounce in English. So if you like poetry and you're interested in things like pronunciation, then you can find that episode, The Chaos of English Pronunciation, in the uh, episode archive. It's number 144, okay? So I think that's it. That's it's time for me to finish the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to do um, these things. One, download the Luke's English podcast app where you can get some exclusive extra episodes. It's all completely free. Uh, And also you'll get bonus content for some episodes too. So get the Luke's English Podcast app from the App Store. The other thing is, don't forget to join the mailing list on the website where you can get a link in your inbox whenever I upload something new. Okay, thanks again for listening and for being generally brilliant. And I'm now going to go and have a word with Dave about um, about his life, basically, and see if I can sort a few things out with him. I'm sure it's going to be okay. Thanks for listening. Speak to you again soon. But for now, goodbye, bye, 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 bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.